Introducing Carvana Value Tracker, where you can track your car's value over time and learn what's driving it. It might make you excited. Whoa, didn't know my car was valued this high. It might make you nervous. Uh-oh, market's flooded. My car's value just dipped 2.3%. It might make you optimistic. Our low mileage is paying off. Our value's up. And it might make you realistic. Mm, car prices haven't gone up in a couple weeks. Maybe it's time to sell. But it will definitely make you an expert on your car's value. Carvana Value Tracker. Visit Carvana.com to start tracking your car's value today. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. Hey, everybody. My name is Tomas Hernandez, and you're tuning in with us today on Sharing Our Stories. Um, Slim is not with me today. Let's go the prayers out. He just had a surgery. You know, people have things that happen in their lives, and he's a great man, and he's home healing for the next couple weeks. So please send out your prayers and love to Slim at home. So yeah, you're about to hear me for about an hour talk about my story, talk about the show, talk about what we're doing this year, how we're going to get down. Um, Really excited about that. Um, Yes, I am the executive director of Tribe Recovery Homes. I am the founder. This is a sponsor of the show. Um, But I don't want to make it all a big promo about what Tribe does because SOS is very, very strong. For you guys that don't know about SOS, Sharing Our Stories was a brainchild of Slim Rodriguez and Sean Jenkins. Um, I was on the show a couple times. It was a it was an honor to come up on this show. There, uh, there's been a lot of people on here. Star Study cast. There's also a lot of people I'd like to give a shout out to, like uh, Matt Atzinger, that's no longer with us. Um, amazing story. Um, definitely have follow-up with the family. Um, these are real live stories of real people that are in your neighborhood going through struggles. Um, if you want to be on the show, please, please get a hold of me. Um, you can send me a Facebook message. Um, you would also email me at thomas at triberecoveryhomes.com, thomas at triberecoveryhomes.com. Please let me know your contact information, and then we can just and, and we can have a conversation. Don't give me like twenty pages of an email and your whole story inside there. I'd rather just have a conversation with you and really get to know you, and get you here on the show and really do what we do. Um, also, um, for the people that are out there that want to sponsor this show, um, we got a pretty big contract and we have sub sponsors on this. So at that. Thomas at TriRecoveryHomes.com. Give me a call of your interest for your businesses. Um, you have businesses out there that want to sponsor this show. Um, we are going to eventually get it to prime time, and you're talking about a very big, broad range of people in this community. Um, and we could talk about the, the numbers and the particulars on that, and you will get a lot of exposure. Understand, yes, this is Max Media that I'm sitting in. I'm in 101. Point five and 1071 studios as we speak don't tell me how i did it guys you know you know my family that's out there like yeah i'm 47 years old and i'm hosting a radio show right now so let's uh let's just go with god in my big mouth how about that all right so uh with that being said we're gonna get into this um yeah so when me and slim were talking i've been on this show a couple of times right and uh I talked about my story and where I was at. I believe the first time that I had it, I had about, oh, I don't know, I had about like six years in recovery, and then I did it again with seven years in recovery, and a lot has happened. You know, recovery revolves, um, evolves, and there's a revolving door on a few things, actually. You know, um, in that time, you know, I've had a lot of things that have happened. You know, I've got married. I've got, you know, I've got, uh, you know, um businesses have blown up businesses have gone away um you know we're not going to talk about all that stuff just yet um kind of put that in order but basically um just like anybody that we put on the story i was in a, in a position that i was not i wasn't going to survive you know um let me just put this out there first um real big 
love and respect to my parents. I'm not the prototypical, stereotypical household that people say, oh, that's a Mexican with a Hispanic male with tattoos all over him. He must have came from a broken home. My parents fought to death tooth and nail for their lives and to give me and my sister the best opportunity that, that we possibly can. You know, my father came from from farmland down southeast. You know, he had 17 or he had he was one of 14 siblings. You know, his his uh my grandma's sister had multiple kids like that and her brother. So, you know, we got we got a whole tribe full of people. But there's not a lot of opportunity when you're in a farm and not a lot of opportunity besides work, share clothes, and try to put your life together. So my father came from a very humble beginning that a lot of us wouldn't even understand to put himself together, put himself through night school, get himself educated, and become a mechanical engineer that he, he retired as. You know, my mother came from East Denver. She was a, a kid of a first-generation immigrants. You know, my grandma was from Madrid. My grandpa was from, yes, that's why I'm so pale-skinned. I have Russian in me. My, my grandpa was from Ukraine. You know, he was a barber. My grandma was a homemaker. European people coming over here, barely speaking English, and just, you know, trying to make a go of it. I never met them. They were, uh, they were in, so by the time my mom was, was born, my grandpa was like 55. So, you know, uh, by the time I was born, it was, yeah, there was... There wasn't a lot of lot of time left in those people. They're already gone. But uh, I grew up around my family that, uh, you know, the Hernandez Lopez Martinez family that's out there. A lot of love to them, you know. But uh, we got into a lot of stuff, man. We got into, uh, as a young age, I mean, I was drinking by the time I was eight. I took the first hard drug by the time I was 11, 12 years old. Oh, man. Trying to live fast, trying to lie, trying to play those shadow games, you know what I mean? Try to, you know, because I had that composure and all those things that I had to do for my mom. Because my mom expected things. You know, when you come from people that come from different countries and, and you know, you're expected to do things. You're expected to raise the bar. My grandma on my dad's side was a very loving person. My, my grandpa, he's an old school fa- farmer, man. He's a, he'd uh, drink, his, drink his beer play his guitar, and work until he couldn't work no more. You know what I mean? And he had kids, a lot of them. You know, but we were expected to 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 show up to work. You know, and uh, yeah. It's funny when you have that in your bloodline, you kind of put that in a different direction so it's all or nothing. You know, um, I got very deep into the streets. Um, it consumed me, but you had to play that that shadow game. You know, I had to get my grades and do my thing for my mom and my dad. I was pretty talented at sports. You put a football in my hand, I can, you know, I could play with the best of them. You know, I played football from five all the way to 27 years old, all different leagues, all different levels, semi-pro, made an arena team before it folded, yada, yada, yada. That's another story, you know what I mean? Uh, really love sports. I'm still in martial arts. Uh, shout out to 29, uh, 29 Degrees Dojo with James Bedwell. Been my friend since I – Man, we've been friends forever, man. We up with like four to thirty-five years right now. You know what I mean? And he's still been there. He was my first actual thing that I'm gonna tell you in my in my story in recovery before I committed to like twelve steps or anything like that. Um, yeah, that's that's a big part of my life um, to get balance. Um, so, with that being said, you know, um, going back to those shadow games, I had to play two roles in my life, which I thought. I had to play the role for my family and on one side and my friends and what my parents expected from me because they put so much into, you know, moving us out to Aurora away from Denver, trying to get us into a better way of life, working 50, 60 hours a week, you know, putting their careers together. And, you know, life has it. I I chose the direction right where they, they removed me and I found it right in Aurora. So, you know, uh, yeah, high school was rough. I still wanted to play ball, but, you know, I never finished high school. I had – I needed 1.75 credits to graduate, and I just quit. You know what I mean? Because I went on some college visits. I didn't want to go, man, you know. You know, we ain't going to sit there and get into, you know, glorify stuff. You know, I had a 
I had a thing that I had going and that's what I wanted to do. And I thought, thought that it was more valuable and I made more money doing that than to go to school and play ball. And I figured I could still play ball out here for different teams, make those teams go to do a tried out. And the worst thing actually could happen to me is I made a team at 18 years old. So I really didn't need to go to school and be eligible. I could still play ball and still have a good time. And I could still do, you know, my gangster stuff, sell drugs, do drugs, do everything that I can. You know, about that time, you know, my dad was tired of my stuff. So like I was already emancipated, like right when I was about to turn 17, 16 years old, he was tired of it. So I could call myself into school. I could call myself into work. I, you know, they'd be like, Mr. Hernandez in high school, like, you can't keep doing this. I go, yes, I can, man. I'm my dad. I'm my own dad. Mark it up. Chalk it up. I'm not coming in today. You can't put me on contract. I mean, I'm my parent. What you talking about? You know, so with that being said, there was a lot of uh, misconception of, of, of reality and a lot of immaturity that I thought was was a direction that I thought that I was being an adult and I wasn't, you know, um, <sighs> damaged the relationship with my mother. I was talking with my daughter the other day about the importance of her, uh, relationship with her own mom and how important to keep that. And once you ruin that and you try to come back from that is probably the biggest mission of your life that you would ever be able to do. And nothing, some things ain't never going to be the same. They're not. They're not ever going to be the same with me and my mother. I love her to death. I respect her every, every second of the day. But we have to be careful on the things that we say to each other because there's so much pain through the years that happened. You know, and that's what addiction's about and bad choices. And we're just talking about young choices. I haven't even got into the drugs and the crime and all that stuff that I did. But, you know, that's a byproduct and we're talking about choice. And, you know, that the thing at Tribe is what we're talking about is every day you got a choice, right? You know, you, you can or you can't. And it's not perfection, but you got to accept the things that are negative that you do and then retry to fix it and do what you need to do to keep on moving forward. And that's just the way... The cookie crumbles and you know, and a lot of choices just compound. And before you know it, it's out of control. Like, you know, by the time I make the football team right and I'm doing these things and uh, off season, my coach didn't know the wiser. I ended up in a mental institution, man. I took too much drugs. I did. I was doing coke and methamphetamine at the same time. I finished, I think it was like an eight ball of both in like two hours, yo. I didn't, I was drunk. You know what I mean? And I ended up, Man, that was that was a, that was a night, you know. House filled up with cops. I was about to thought something was coming to my dad's chimney. I was, you know, he let me in. Thought I was going to do better, and he finally lets me back in the house, and I pull this right. And man, I got. I, I remember I threw that cop through through the, through a door, and I'm lucky I didn't get charged for that because I was in drug induced situation. They put me out. Boom. Uh, man, I ended up in the, the emergency room. Um, I was in an induced coma, and I wasn't coming out of it. My mom was going to have to make a decision, and all of a sudden, God came in, man. I don't know if you ain't a God person. Like right now, this is my story, so I don't care what your opinion is because you know what? I'm a God guy, and I know these things that happened, that's with God. You know, uh, I I woke up. Started pulling things out of my personal parts, out of my nose, out of my throat. They had to put me down again, and before I knew it, I was on the fourth floor of uh, of uh, PSL behavior behavioral center, you know. And uh, I was up there in Denver, and I was in a straight jacket, and man, just like not even knowing this is reality, right? They let me go have one cigarette downstairs. I got to the second floor. I looked in the damn mirror and. Couldn't even look at myself and just threw a couple combos under the mirror, exploded that, came upstairs with bloody knuckles. They put me back in a straitjacket. You know, so I tried to get that go of uh, when I got out of there to stop doing drugs for a while, but it didn't work. I ended up in Bethesda. I ended up in a couple of things. My mom was really thinking that I lost my mind. I was going crazy and I was never going to come out of it. You know, come and go as it please. They built this little room for me in the basement where my sister's at right now. You know what I mean? And that didn't even help because, I mean, I ended up finding, you know, I was just drinking. Like a lot of people think that alcoholism is like, okay, if I'm just drinking, everything's cool. 
You know what I mean? I'm all right. You know, I got a couple of jobs. I wasn't keeping them because I'm an addict. And to me, an addict, man, alcohol is a drug, man. That's just a liquid drug. Don't get it twisted. Like, I'm just, I'm not an alcoholic. I drink. No, you're taking drugs. It's a liquid drug, man. Like, if, if you peeing on yourself and talking crazy and, and having to apologize to people from Texas that you said the night before, yeah, you just, you're drug induced. That wasn't, <laughs> that's, that's part of it. You know, it's a very powerful drug, you know, and it caught up with me and I found a couple of my biker homeboys sitting at these bars. And before I knew it, I was out in my parents' house again and I was doing drugs. Still playing ball. Then I got hit by a car. I couldn't stand on my foot right, so I stopped playing ball. And that was just that was the balancer for me, and you know. And through all these things, you know, I'm not going to talk about. I don't. I don't glorify. The, yes, I was a gang member. Yes, um, I did a lot of things. You know what I mean? I'm not going to pronounce to anybody that is a killer, and I'm not. You know what I mean? I don't. I, I hate going to these twelve step meetings and this dude sitting in his chair acting like he's super credible Hulk. With the ankle bracelet, <laughs> you know what I mean, on a DUI, you know what I mean? But he's the baddest soul that's up in there. No, I don't get down like that. I mean, that's not me, you know what I mean? I don't think prison, the time that I did the multiple years in county prison and all that stuff is admirable. You know, I was not a good criminal by the fourth time I went there, you know? Like, you got to figure out that you suck at crime, Tomas, when you're there the fourth time. You know, this, the percentages ain't working out. The things, you know what I mean? I should have figured that out when I was, like, in county jail for the umpteenth time. You know, arrested, you know, like, five times in one month. You know, it wasn't registering, but, you know, you start going into these places, and, like, now it's years. You know, and, uh, yeah, I just wasn't getting it, man. I had a love for chaos, you know, I didn't know that I had certain things that I have today. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I developed PTSD from this thing, ADHD, I'm manic, you know, and then as, for the people to understand that, like I was confused, so you might go ahead and think about this a little bit. You know, when I heard manic, I thought it was like manic depressive. Like, I'm not depressive. Like, ask my wife, ask anybody who knows me. I'm, I'm, I'm really not a depressing, not, I'm a very, I got to watch my ego and my tempo. But I am manic. Like, when my therapist told me I was manic. He was like, do you, like, sleep, like, three hours a day? Maybe not sleep, like, an hour. It's maybe not REM sleep, but you think you can still take over the world all week? I go, absolutely. That's my superpower, man. And he's like, nah, man, you manic, homie. You got you to gotta get your health right, and you got to sleep right, man. That's, that's not how it works. You know what I mean? And these are these things, and I got. And I'm putting methamphetamine and cocaine and heroin and, and, and whatever. I, you know, my drug was yes. You had it? Yeah. I, drinking for breakfast. You know what I mean? I'm either going to go Cholo or I'm going to go Brother. I'm going to go all tequila and Budweiser or I'm going to go straight up Palmasan, Cognac, and, and, and malt liquor. You know what I mean? It, it, whatever flow I felt that day, that's what I was going with. You know what I mean? And that was breakfast. You know, that was doing a, load, a shot. A dope, hot rail, sniffing it, doing whatever, and, you know, liquor didn't help, so I'd do some heroin to come down, and I, and I overdosed a couple of times trying that mess, you know what I mean? That don't work out when you, you know, uh, you've been up for like a week, and then you go straight down, and all of a sudden, hey, man, you all right? And then you come to, and it's like, oh, man, you almost died, homie. Your heart stopped. And that still doesn't register to to an addict that's just been in the funk in the in the in the in the gaze and you know, oh man, you know the stories blend and everything like that and every you know and it's still the same story that I got but you know as the years come from the first time that I've done this story it's like, what was it worth? What was the pain worth? The confusion, you know, you couldn't make sense of anything. I, I couldn't keep you know. I could talk about and glorify all the stuff in there, and I did some stuff that would probably think you'd think that I was on a movie, but it happened, you know what I mean, and, and talk about gang life and all that stuff. But that's not what I'm on this, this show this morning for because that doesn't do any good, you know what I mean? I'm not here to be a movie star or get some accolades for bad choices and failure, you know. In that, I learned that I wasn't afraid to fail, right? You know, 
But I don't regret prison, and I'm going to tell you why on a positive note on why. Yeah, the first time I went to prison, I was a cannonball. I got in a lot of trouble. I went to the hole a lot. The second time, I just did drugs, and I didn't care. You know, and they put me in the hole. They put me in lockdown, whatever. The third time, I'm always trying to hustle something, right? So I go to my case manager, and I say, and I'm over here talking to my boss, Sean. He's awesome. Sean Rhodes gave me this this opportunity with Slim. Just want to give him a shout-out. And Sean Jenkins, by the way. Love you, brother. But, yeah, I'm talking talking to my brother Sean right here and telling him my story. And, basically, that's why I'm looking over this way and talking to him and talking to y'all. But uh, And for the people that are on the radio, obviously, this morning, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But, yes, I'm looking at somebody. But, anyway, with that being said, um, I was talking to my case manager trying to get halfway house. And he was an old school dude from Pueblo and he's old school Chicano. And he told me, he's like, Tomas, he goes, man, you ain't had a job since Easy had his first record. I said, I'm not, he said, I'm not putting you in halfway house, homie. Go back to your cell. I'm going to table you. You know what I mean? You're not going to get out. Just go. So I'm sitting out there in the day room. I'm like, damn, man, what can I come up with now? What's the new thing? I got done lifting weights, you know. Eating some food, talking to the homies, got on the phone, talked to who I was going to talk to for the day, you know. And I'm like, man, I'm looking at this TV because I didn't even have my TV yet because that's like your babysitter, y'all. You, you know when you're in the joint, you get TVs, you get coffee pots, all kinds of stuff. So, you know me, I had to have everything. If my family was going to give it, I'm calling girls, I'm calling whoever. I'm calling Jesus. I'm like, man, give me something out of that plate because I need a TV. You know what I mean? And I couldn't get that far yet because I just got into prison. You know what I mean? So with that being said, um, I'm in the day room. I'm watching the TV, and I see Bill Redder come up. And he's talking about recidivate numbers and how he's going to change that, and he's going to put 5,000 in on programs, 5,000 off parole, and 5,000 on parole, and he's going to get this thing going through this place called Cheyenne Mountain. So like a good hustler should, I said, ding, 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 ran right back to the case manager. She's like, what, Tomas? And I said, yeah, man, you heard that Bill Ritter thing? And I, I think I called him Bob Ritter or something like that, messed it up. And he was like, you mean Bill Ritter? I go, yeah, that guy. He said some stuff, and I messed up the, the word recidivate, and I said something else. And he goes, man, sit down. He goes, what are you talking about, Tomas? And I said, man, I need to get to a program. I need to get back to my daughter. I need to get out of here, man. I need to figure this out. Man, I don't, you know, you no, know, nobody want to be here, man. I'm just trying to figure out something positive through you to occupy my time and get out of here. And he goes, you know, that's a rehab, right? And I said, no, get out of here. He was like, no, that's a rehab, homie. That's, he goes, why do you want to do that? And I don't know why I said it. I said, like, I was like, hey, man, I just need something different. <laughs> man, I just need something different, man. I just I just can't do this no more, man. This is the third time I'm in here, you know. And uh, just like a good Catholic boy would, after I left his office, I forgot about everything I said in that moment, and I went to parole like three months later. And I'm walking out the damn parole thing, and I'm just going to say, wise butt. But he said, hey, you got your wish, wise butt. And I said, What? Like, what you talking about? And I walked like three halls down. I was like, man, I'm going to rehab, yo. Like, my heart sank because I wasn't feeling the Ritter or the Bob or the Bill or anything on that. You know what I mean? I was ready to sit there and, and lay it down, get a tattoo machine, you know, get my weightlifting on. And, you know, rehab idea was out. I'm, I'm settling into Canyon City. I'm cool. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm done. But no, uh, God had another plan. Next morning is Hernandez one two six four four four. Pack out, get on this bus, end up in Springs. I'm like, man, there's gonna be rehab, man. It's gonna be waterfalls and rainbows, and we're gonna have therapy and good food. This is gonna be great. I get out on the bus, man. It's like lunchtime. There's dudes with whole beat up faces and putting things tattoos everywhere. Man, this ain't no rehab, homie. This is like a war zone. Like, they don't even have, <laughs> they didn't even have, uh, like, the levels of security set up right. So you got people with, like, like levels are like, you got, like, one, two for people in camps up to seven, and then you got all the way up. 
And then people that shouldn't even like people in CSP and Centennial and stuff like that. But if you have a five-year tail or a three-year tail, which means, ladies and gentlemen, when you get out, or they, his, hers, him, I'm trying to get the pronouns right. I'm on the air. Sorry to just say ladies and gentlemen. But uh, with that being said, with those levels, it doesn't matter. If you got a three-year tail, means you're getting out. So you can be up in there with a dude that's got 72 points. Yes, in rehab. And why is he there? I have no idea. But I do, because he's trying to get out just like me. And he talked to his case manager the same way. What's up, cuz? What's up, S.A.? I need to get out. You know what I mean? Yo, dog, let me out. We're all saying the same thing to our case managers and how DOC works back then. They just And I had no idea. They got this big grant and this grant money, and they got to fill it. They don't care. Yes. Yes. Yes, you can go in. Absolutely, sir. You can go in, too. Oh, you hatcheted your mother? Okay, yes. Oh, you sold drugs? Yes. Oh, you stole 50,000 cars? Yes. You in there. You know what I mean? And these are mistakes, and I'm kind of clowning and stuff like that. But then they're like, oh, you had five DUIs, and you worked for Merle Shop. Yes. But you can be in there with the guy with 72 points. And these are not cells, man. These are these are bays. So you got like eight person bays, and you got twelve people bays. And yeah, you got to know the levels of things and how things work. And you're up in there, and you know, like the top level on on, on three three A was called Colfax. You go up to three A, you can get whatever the hell you want. It's on, it's on and cracking, tattoo and everything like that. You know, you got things that they, like they call COs, they call them OCs there. And the OCs, it's backwards because they were backwards, and they're getting walked off the, the thing. There was, you know, the girl OCs were sleeping with the guys there. It was crazy. It was a war zone, right? So we in it, and I'm like, hey, man, what am I doing here? I thought I was going to rehab, but hey, if I can have some fun while I'm here, nah, I got to treat this this cool. So I don't know what it was in me. I was I was bound and determined to do something better, even though that I was in a place that wasn't set up for that. So my first direction of recovery, because I got Native American blood in me, was to go to the Native Circle with a couple of my homeboys, you know. I went up there with uh, Red Feather and Yellow Hair, and I said, hey, I want to start praying. And they said, Tomas, man, you still getting loaded? You can't smudge in the morning and come to come to prayer like that. And, you know, they sat there and they, they 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 figured out where I was from, this, this, and that, family members, whatever. If you just have a little speck of uh, native in you, you know what I mean? They're going to let you in because that's just the way it is if you're serious. And, you know, you don't, you don't really lie to natives in that place. That's their own clique, but they are spiritual. And, and I don't know if you know or not, everybody, but a lot of Native American men are not small. So you talking to a guy that's like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, six, you know what I mean? And these dudes, you know, they 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 down to put hands on people just like anybody else, you know, but they're spiritual. So in the mornings, the first time that I knew like a daily reprieve, like uh, just for today, what was saying N.A., I started smudging. And I started staying in the pocket and I made a program, you know, and that's a thing that I'm going to talk to you guys about, about a program, you know what I mean? I learned that up in there and I started putting myself in a better program and a positive program, not a manipulative program that I did the years before, right? And uh, I started getting some clear thinking and not a knock on Catholicism, but you know what? When you're doing the Lakota ways, the guilt was gone. I didn't pray like that. I, I was praying to, to Kashla and Wakataka and I was learning the songs and I was really feeling it and you know and I felt good and I was in that circle with these guys and you know I never really clicked up with people in the jails because like when the first time that I went into prison man there was 13 of us down from my family and my family that's out there you know what I'm saying we got family members you know my brother was in Reno at the time on feds I got other cousins that were in there I got one cousin God rest his soul his number was 66666 you know what I mean? When You know, you didn't really have to be in a clique because you were born into a clique with their friends, their friends, my friends, y'all friends, we all friends. You know what I mean? And the the where I was, when I was a gang member, 
you know, that was a different thing. So, you know, that was, that was bikes. So it was, it was, you know, that, that, that was a whole different thing. We're not going to get in the weeds on that, but I started hanging around with the natives and things started getting positive, really positive real quick. You know what I mean? And, and, and I felt good about things. I started lifting weights and really I didn't give a care about the politics sitting with just Mexicans with just Hispanics, you know, paisas, black, whatever. And, you know, I grew up in a black neighborhood, you know, the first time I went to prison, it used to make me mad that I couldn't sit with my homeboys over here that know my mom and hug my mom and say, I love you and call you mom because they're black. And I got to sit with a bunch of people that I don't know because we have the same skin tone and get to know each other again. You know what I mean? You know, and I got black babies, you know what I mean? I had to fight a couple people because I was in, in, in visits because my daughter used to come to see me every chance she got. She'd have her mom take her. She'd have... Man, she'd have my, my parents take her. She was not missing a weekend with her dad. You know what I mean? And, and, and that put me in a little bit of wrecks, but it was weird. And, you know, I got down over that stuff because, you know, that's that's just the life there. And uh, when I got there, it didn't matter because I didn't care. I just started hanging around whoever I wanted to hang around with. I'd lift weights in whatever car that I was that was there. And people just started accepting it. And that was the first dose of recovery that I ever had. I'd never regret that third time in prison because I actually woke up and I didn't know that it was planting a seed because basically what I went from was a chore checker because getting to that is a new warden came in and basically young blood came in and he brought everybody downstairs and he said, Hey, grab every knucklehead or anybody's tagged to a knucklehead and put him in the, in the, in the cafeteria. So you know, yeah, I'm not going to sit up in here. I wasn't no shot caller, man. I mean, I had family, but I wasn't in prison to be doing all that stuff. I wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to bow down to nothing, but I was your garden variety inmate convict. I wasn't trying to make stripes, trying to be the leaders. I wasn't trying to do none of that. So to me, why the hell was I downstairs? You know, so we get we get called downstairs and then uh, Youngblood's like, I got all the gooses outside. So the blue gooses are what transport you to different prisons. He goes, I got all the gooses outside. This is what's going to happen. Y'all going to start programming and doing this program, or I'm going to load you guys up all in those trucks, and I'm going to put every one of you guys in 24-hour lockdown. It's your choice. And another thing is, is we're going to hand out these papers and we see some leadership roles in some of you guys. And he was strategic about it. He was putting people that he thought there was leaders of different cliques as unit coordinators, all that stuff. Some 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 dudes were like, nah, I'm not doing this. And, you know, they're sticking to the politics, sticking to the code. They jumped up on the bus and they took off. But some stayed back because you got that tail that I was talking about, that three-year tail. So, like, man, if I do this, I get out in a year and a half on the three-year tail, man, let, let's go. And, of course, we always find some way to manipulate something, you know. And I'm sitting over there, and, and, you know, he had food out in waters. And I'm me, man. You know how I am. I'm going to come up in somewhere, and, and I'm I'm personable. I'm like, oh, you got waters? You got cookies? Man, I went up there. Everybody's like, I ain't eating the word and stuff. I'm like, I'm eating it. And I mean, I ain't going to get no cookies again in a long time unless I get on commissary. So, I'm, you know, I'm eating. I got crumbs all over my face. And I'm like, I'm like, what the hell is happening? So I ended up a chore checker. So I got to go around everybody's cells, like everybody's like long ass cells and and start telling them that they need to clean up stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, that was an art. You got to figure that out. You can't tell the leader of the Soranios like, hey, homie, make your bed. Make your bed right now. <laughs> it doesn't work like that unless you want to get in a fight. You know what I mean? So with that being said, you know, I figured out how to go uh, work my way through that stuff. And then I ended up uh, being the unit coordinator of that program. You know, and that one side of that wing, this lady that that uh, that was running the program, um, you know, with contracts, I can't name them. I would love to give her a shout out, but that's just the way it is with I have with with the city and state. But that person, that amazing person, gave me a chance to help develop two two floors. And I helped her develop two floors, so I helped her put together 300 beds. And I still didn't know what I was doing for my future. I just thought I was doing something so I could get out. And the whole time that I'm doing all this stuff, I'm forgetting about the time that I'm doing, and Bill Ritter lied his butt off, and I didn't get any good time <laughs> added on to that. I almost did my whole 
two year little sentence. I was in there for evading and eluding thing that happened. You know what I mean? And uh, I got out and real inspired. You know what I mean? Learned some things and you know went back to a little bit of drinking because that's what I do when I get out. I wasn't trying to get into drugs. And two months later, I got indicted. And it was a big national indictment with the people that I was down with and those gangs that I was in. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it was bad, man. I was all over CNN. My mom was crying. They came and got me. And I'm sitting in this federal penitentiary, and I didn't know what I was going to do, man. You know, I always had a plan because usually when I'm getting arrested, like state, that's the game. But the feds are different, man. So that's like Batman. When Batman comes and drops a helicopter on you, that's a whole different story, yo. That's different, especially when there's cameras outside. Like when you go to rest by state, that's like that's like cops. What you gonna do when they come for you? You know what I mean? And nobody remembers that. Like federal, it's like dun 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 <laughs> newsreel and mom's embarrassed, she's Catholic, lighting the whole country on fire with candles. It's it's nuts. You know what I mean? That's the way it goes with that, you know? And and I'm up in there, and I'm like, damn, man. <sighs> man, what am I going to do? So I see one person when I get arrested, two people, three people, four people, 10 people, 20 people. Then they start putting people down the hall, and we figure out that people that were just supposed to be family were actually working for the cops, couple guys that were actually cops, my chapter president. And everybody was like, man, those people never put money on your books and they never call you. And those are the ones that are going to snitch on you, this and that. Like, no, nah, not in my story. This man put money on my books and sent in stuff to me and did everything every time I fell. But he sure did lie his butt off to try to get me 20 years on stacked on top of that gun that I had to get himself out of trouble. And I got the paperwork and it's not like state and it shows the names that are talking about you and you feel that heartbreak and you feel that cold, that cold feeling of embarrassment that you're stupid and everything that you believed in ever that's really dumb and all that kind of stuff. And at the time, yes, I was praying to a native God, but really I would always pendulum back and forth because truly deep down in my soul, since I was little, since my cousins that my cousin Jimmy that was murdered, I hated God. I didn't understand why he would take somebody that young or he would let something like that happen. See, my cousin Jimmy got stabbed 21 times in his neck and his throat. And I had to come to wrestling practice and I saw my other cousins seeing him. You know what I mean? And then I said, you know, people have died, you know, in my arms and I, and I felt and I've seen that and I hated God. I knew exactly what it was. I hated him. I couldn't couldn't look at a crucifix. It would make me mad. You know what I mean? My cousin Sean was killed right up on my birthday time. I didn't even like my birthday. I didn't like nothing. I didn't like nothing, man. Like, man, anything that was even close to anything. I watched my cousin Josh go through all the trauma. They're losing his brother. My cousin Monica. I couldn't believe my cousin Nuita going through all that stuff. My aunt, my, my aunt Patsy with, with her son, my cousin Bo and all, and all her sisters and all that stuff. They're watching this. And I didn't understand. I was like, man, there ain't no God, man. And I came from... From a Catholic side and the other side was Jehovah Witness. So, like, I was really confused at that time, man. I'm like, shit, you can't have presents? You can't celebrate this on one side? And then the other side is all guilt and, and this, man. I'm like, so, man, miss me with that God stuff. No. I know exactly who you are, God, and you stay over there. I'm going to stay over here. And, you know, after all that inspirational stuff I did with the Native Ways, I'm still sitting in jail. I'm in federal prison. Federal prison, man. And this time, for the first time in my life, I'm speechless. I'm like, man, what am I going to do, man? What am I going to do? So phone calls. Again, talk to somebody on the outside. Get, find some inspiration. You know what I mean? What can I do here? What, what's going to happen to me? And I had 10-minute phone calls because back then – so I don't know if you guys know a lot about gangs out there, y'all, but there's a group called Latin Kings. King Benny was ordering hits in New York on the phone. So the Fed stopped it to where you can only have 300 minutes a month. So that broke down to like 10 minutes a day. You know, and uh, I'm sitting up in there. I'm up in the same pod with the people that killed Darren Williams, the Bronco uh, cornerback. 
you know, I'm sitting there with those Crips. I mean, with all these other guys doing all this stuff, and there's a big third general, and I'm not going to say his name in the in the Sinaloa cartel. Nah, this ain't no lie. Seriously, I'm in the feds. This dude's paying two million dollars to do his time in Mexico, and this is a pinnacle part of my story, and that's why I'm talking about this. And you know, I'm sitting there on the phone, and I'm talking to the to a family member on the phone. I get off on the phone and I put the phone down and I, and it's on the top tier and I'm looking down and I see this this man, this mafia god. You know, like, you got to understand what, what I'm talking about is this guy here, he put money in all the Paisa's books. And what the Paisa's are is, is, is uh, the, the Latinx, Latino communities that, that are not from, from the United States. He wasn't eating the federal government's food. He wasn't doing anything like that. You know what I mean? He wasn't doing anything like that. So with that being said, um, I was watching him. People were serving him coffee, doing everything like that. And this guy's paying $2 million to do some time in, in a different country. And he's got it like that. But all of a sudden, I saw him lift up his, his glasses and uh, rub his eyelids. And I saw him pull out his cross and I, and put his hand on his on his family's picture and say a novella. And I remember the novella because I've seen my dad do it. I've seen my mom do it. I've seen people in Catholicism do it. And I could like basically lip out what he's saying. What he's saying right there. And that blew my hair back, man. I was like, yo, I'm done. I picked up the phone, you know, because mind you, before I got, when I got out of state, I was still messing with the people that I used to mess with. I just got out. I'm still playing the hustle. I was on my way back. You know, I just played the hustle. I, I had the seed planted, but I seen that. I called my dad, and I just started talking like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. He's like, yeah, what are you talking about, boy? I said, I'm done. I'm done gangbanging. I'm done doing drugs. I'm done with this. And he's like, well, well, yeah, man, you in federal prison, boy. Like, that should wake you up, you know? And I'm like, no, nah, you don't understand, Dad. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And, uh, man. I hung up that phone and I went to a a bond a bail hearing. So you can't get bond, you can get bail in in federal prison. People have to have they have to have equity in a home. They have to have they have to put sh- things up. You know what I mean? You have to be connected with the community with more than ten years and 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 all the 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 bells and whistles. And they do a PSI. And I was sitting in there and I didn't think I was going to get it. And this. ATF agent stood up and he started talking about all the things that I do out on the streets, all the things that I was trying to battle back, my demons, how violent I was, all this kind of stuff. And he's got all these wiretaps on me. And I saw a couple people from Inglewood that I used to not get, get uh, I didn't get along with. So I was like, man, I knew exactly who they were talking about. And, you know, it was just a throwback. You're like, man, I might get another charge right now, right here in this bail meeting, you know, and I'm like sitting there kind of posturing and I'm looking at him back behind me and I'm staring at him. I'm getting mad. My dad stares at me and he goes, looks, tells me to look forward. And I look forward and I don't look at these people. And then the judge jumps on and he says, hey, talks to his clerk and he says, did uh, agent such and such uh, pull me out of chamber? Did he wake me up out of bed? Did he get me off of some type of thing I was doing with my family? And he looked real cynical at her. And she smiled and put her head down and he goes, once again, agent such and such, you didn't follow protocol and none of these wiretaps were transcribed and signed off by me. Is there anybody that will stand up in the court for Mr. Hernandez on this PSI? My father stood up. The only people that I had in that courtroom, usually I have a few people in the courtroom. My mom is crying. She don't want to see me in feds. I have my little, my little like lackey, my little homeboy that did everything for me that, you know, used to get my booze and stuff like that when I was on ankle bracelet. When I was still on ankle bracelet, when I got arrested, all that stuff, he was my next door neighbor. He was sitting right there, right next to my dad. You know what I mean? Man, little Julio got arrested in peace. He got killed, but he was there right next to my dad, and my dad stood up and he said, yeah, he goes, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand up here for my son. And I was shocked, you know what I mean? You got to put up your house. And I've always ran from any anything that I've ever done, you know. Like, I was like, catch me if you can. You can put me on parole. You put me on anything. I'm walking down that ramp, and I'm gone. Like, I might report one, tw- two times, whatever. I might use the Wizinator, but I'm really going to mess it up, and you're going to have to catch me. I'm always going to violate. 
parole, probation, whatever is on it. I'm not finishing it. You got to get me on the time. I'm just not playing the game. So long story short, my dad asked to talk to me and he says, hey, son. He tells me what he'd do if I mess his house up first. He leads with that. And he says, don't worry about your mom. You're dealing with me. And he goes, are you serious, boy? Are you done? And, you know, with tears in my eyes, I look at my dad. I say, yeah, man, I can't do this no more. I can't. I don't want to gangbang no more. I don't want this. I don't want this for my life. So I walk out that day with my with my dad in court. And I never returned to prison, ever. I stood by my dad's word. And it was a fight, man. You know, I finished parole and I finished sub- supervised release simultaneously they took me off UAs. I started using again a little bit. The day that I got off federal pr- paper, I got off state first and I got off federal paper, I was high as a kite. And it's funny, I was in the back room of this trap house that now Dan Singer, my deputy director, used to live in. And I'm afraid to answer the phone. And I answer the phone and uh, I kind of hang it up. I, I sent it to, to voicemail and... On there is my supervised released officer saying, this is, uh, this is agent such and such. These are U.S. Marshals so that watch you on feds. They come to you. They do whatever. So, Tomas Hernandez, I'd like to tell you today it was your last day of supervised release. You missed our meeting, but that's okay. I'm going to email mail you the paperwork. Good luck, sir. Good job and good day. I was so embarrassed, man. I called my dad, and it was funny because there was another guy that was struggling, you know. And you do a lot of drugs. Sometimes you get real guilty out there, and you're like, man, I can't do this no more. So there's two of us, and we end up, like, a week later interviewing for the same rehab. You know, I got it. He didn't. I stayed there. I got about eight months, and then I relapsed again. And it was the worst three months of my life. And, uh, yeah, I uh, – Last night that I was used, I was trying to, I was suicidal and homicidal and uh, I was just high and I was tired of it. And I knew this guy that was a lot like me and uh, my idea was him to get, get him to shoot me and kill me because I, I, I was too much of a coward to put the bullet to my head. So I'm going to get in a fight with this guy because he's going to pull it. And I go to his house and I turn on him and I start hitting him and I don't realize how high I am and how strong I am at the time. And I just, I hurt the man real bad. There's a girl that's crying in the corner and like a, never forget her face. She's curled up in the corner saying, stop, stop, stop. And I'm punching him. I got blood all over me. And I remember I pulled out his gun and I put it by his head and I said, I want you to find me and kill me. And, uh. I left his house and like a dope fiend, I grabbed some dope from him and some syringes and I leave and. I get to Aurora and I ain't got no plates on my car. I go to this park because I see the cops kind of coming up on me. I hide in this park in this thistle. Cops come up to the car. They're filling it for the heat on the on the hood. And all of a sudden they get this call, right? And I'm burying my hand in this in this sand, right? I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to go ahead. And I'm going to, you know, if I can get out of this, I can do this dope, right? Because I'm a dope fiend. I'm not no gangster. And I don't know nothing, man. I ain't got nothing. I'm just a junkie. So the cops leave. I pull my hand out of there. I take some pond water. I do a dirty junkie shot, put that poison in my arm for the last time in my life. And I look up and I see a place. Uh, I'm by this tree, right? And I'm, and it's a place where my homeboy hung himself in that park. See, the dude was, was cool as hell, man. And he, he was a very dark man. And he owed some people some money. And they cut his face like a joker stuff when he... And he he lost his wife, and he felt that it wasn't the drugs. It was because he was deformed, and it was part of the reason why that, you know, three years of doing crack and on the streets and living in downtown Denver and living all over everywhere, he hung himself. You know what I mean? And I'm seeing that tree, and I'm looking at myself, and I'm like, man, I can't do this, man. I can't do this. I can't do this. And I'm feeling the same thing I'm feeling on the on the pier at that at that federal prison. So I go to my dad the next morning, and my dad tells me who I am. For the first time, because you got to understand, my dad now has got forty. Today he's got forty-five years in, in in recovery. My dad stopped using it when I was two years old. Um, stopped drinking, stopped doing stuff. He just he stopped. So he's always understood, but this time he's mad. He said, "I've seen you through all these rehabs. I've seen you through every penitentiary. I put my house up for you, and all you got for me is this." He goes, "You carry my name, and all you are is a violent." drug-addicted gang member 
drunken punk. I can't even look at you right now. Go upstairs. You smell like death. Go take those clothes off so your mother don't see you like that. And when you wake up, we're going to have a different conversation. So I put myself together. I go downstairs and I see my dad a couple of days later and my daughter sitting there and my lady I was married to was following my mom around the house and ex-wife was mad at me. We were done basically. And my mom's doing the hard love thing, so my daughter's sitting right there. Everybody's looking at me like I'm 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 a I'm a heap of crap doing this again after all the you know, see see people don't understand that like, you know, that's the hardest part is when you bring your family members to this ledge and then you just drop them on their face again. They get tired of that. And if you've done that all your life and you're thirty seven years old in front of them, they're like, Man, come on, man, what you doing? Like, you know, what what's happening here? You know, so my, da- my dad gave me a choice, and he turns on this video, and there's this guy named Matthew Jarvis on there. Actually, today, he's my therapist, still today, and he's on there from this rehab, and I see some things, and I see, because they know I was going to go to, I was making excuses about rainbows and waterfalls and all that stuff. I'm not going to like mine, because I'm not that type of guy. I learned how to get sober and stuff in prison. I'm not going to, you know, cognitive thinking and just meditate. Meditate with me at... Very, very nice, nice. Cheryl Falls. Cheryl Falls is going to change your life. Man, I would go crazy, man. Get the hell out of here, Cheryl, and your fall. You know what I mean? So I go to this place called Stout Street. I meet my my first mentor, and man, I met a man named Christopher Conway, and he changed my life, man. I didn't finish that program because I get kicked out of everything that I do unless I'm locked up and I got to stay there. I was 60 days in and I get kicked out of this place, right? So I end up at this DUI program with him and his wife and a guy named Nicholas Petricelli, Nikki Worthman, Nikki Ayaki, and man, you're talking about people that would call you in the morning like like Christopher Conway is like uh Irish man from Yonkers. So every morning he'd be like, Tommy, how you doing today? He goes, you know, I love you, boy. He goes, you're going to be all world. You're going to be good today. You know, what's your plan? What you going to do? Because I worked for him too because I had to work. I worked the front desk because I had to pay for like my DUI programs and all my different therapies and stuff like that. So I had to work it off. You know, I ain't going to get my parents to do do the things. I'm working two, three, four, seven jobs. I didn't care, man. I was digging ditches, making pizzas, do whatever the hell I had to do to make my way because I wanted to be in this recovery thing, right? And he just kept me going for a year. I would do interventions and all that stuff. And then I started doing interventions for private treatment centers. Sean, I've been all over the world, all over the country, man, 36 states, picking up men and taking them to safety. You know, I'm, I've been to Boyle Heights. I've been to Trent, New Jersey, worst parts of, of, of Texas. I've been to all over uh, Florida, California. I mean, I've been to boring places like South Dakota trying to get people. You know what I mean? I've done the teen challenge thing, waking up a kid and taking him to some mountain in Utah and dropping him off and say, hey, now you get now you got a, a reality here, son. You know what I mean? But the thing is about it, and I'm going to get, because I got six minutes left, and how I got myself to where I was at is I was working at a place called Lone, in Lone Tree, and I helped out a young man named Nicholas, and I did the same thing I did because I didn't tell you guys, I didn't go into get a case in federal prison because recovery was the first time that it worked for me. And I did the same thing I did for Nick that I did for myself. And what I did was, is I stretched it out a year. I took the six certifications that I had from, from, from Cheyenne Mountain and I put another five with Broader Horizons with John Fabiano. And I went in front of that judge and I talked to him straight. I talked to her straight. Judge Krieger. First woman in a, in, in a robe and wasn't the last because when I got in recovery, I got a lot of them that advocate for me now. But the first one that changed my, my ideology about a judge looked at me and said she deemed it counterproductive to put me back into prison after all the work I did. And that's what we do today, man. And, you know, this wasn't a big roundabout way to have a tribe commercial. You know what I mean? But... You know, <laughs> But it's about what we do at Tribe, you know what I mean? And I went through all the country, and I watched people, and I was really interested in reentry on different levels. So I watched people like a shout-out to San Latif and Khalil and Sean Taylor and 
and all those guys that were out there at, at SEC, and I was watching how they were doing things, like Servicios de la Raza doing everything, you know, been here for years, 50 years, you know what I mean? Leo from Lifeline, you know, Corinthia, good friend of mine, you know what I mean? Don't Look Back Center, all these different places, and I started putting together sober living that I was good at with treatment and all that kind of stuff and doing this stuff on the streets and keeping people free from active addiction, keeping them out of jail, giving them support when they get out, and doing what I need to do to keep going. And, you know, I don't know where my story is going to end. I just know for a fact I got to keep helping people for the rest of my life. You know, I'm not a saint. I am not a typical Christian role model that people say, I mean, <laughs> and I don't care about any of that. You know what I mean? I'm a very, I'm, I'm me. I got flames on my head and you know, yeah, you're looking at it. Yes. I got Mason jewelry on. I'm a, I'm a proud Prince Hall Mason Lodge four Centennial Lodge four. Yes, I am. I'm no longer a gang member. I'm no longer daily addicted to drugs and alcohol. I have no, idea how God wanted to save me and save others like me. And just one day at a time, when I lay my head down, my job is to go to bed sober, to go to bed clean. And you know, and that's, and I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. You know, like I said, I don't glorify a lot of that other stuff because those were mistakes. And, you know, like, I got a friend in Boca Raton, and it's funny. He says, man, old man Steve, he owns some sober livings out there. And he says, he goes, you know what? My What I came out after 20-odd years of being clean, he said, some of my fondest memories never happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I thought about it, and I was like, yo, that is a golden nugget. That's the best thing I ever heard, man. You know what I mean? So when you're sitting there, audience, when you're sitting there talking about glorifying stuff, and you're sitting there thinking about how much how much chili you put on things and how much more or less you put on things, yeah, you know, some of the best things in life never happen. So recovery is a one day at a time and trying to keep it real as you can. You know what I mean? It's okay just to be a garden variety person, man. Just, you know, have the light of your family. Do the best that you can. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to do things. People are going to die. You're not going to get the jobs that you want. You might get your dream job. You might have a savings. You might not. You know what I mean? All these things, life is still going to happen. But your superpower is to stay sober and clean and have a program and (laughs) don't commit crimes and do your best and respect your environment to the best of your ability and your choices and learn from them. As you know, I still make mistakes every day. My superpower actually besides recovery is I'm not afraid to fail. I'm going to fail a million times, quadrillion times, and to get that one win. I'm going to hit my face, bam, right on that pavement and not care, laugh with bloody teeth, dust myself off and try it again. I'm going to try to go after my dreams, like sitting here right now, I'm 47 years old, and I'm right here in a radio station you know, hosting, I'm sitting in Slim, the legend's chair right now. You know what I mean? I followed my big brother kingdom all over everywhere. Tony V's been around my life all my life. You know what I mean? Kathy J's office is two places away from here. And I had no idea last year when I was sitting here, like they were told me, yeah, like, you want to sponsor this show? You want to buy this show? You want to be on the, on the air? I'd have been like, what? But that's what I'm talking about. I'm like, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'll be on the radio. Why not? I got nothing else to do, you know, but I'm sober and I get these and I'm clean and I get these things to do with my life. And, you know, and that's uh, it's a blessing, man, you know, because I wouldn't trade it for the world. I got a wonderful wife. I got kids. I got my mom and dad. I got my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my brothers and sisters-in-laws. I got all of them. I got so many family members. Yo, I thought that only Mexicans had kids. <laughs> on the Richardson and the Howard side, man, and on the Griffin side, man, that is not true. We have we cover the state, you know what I mean, and it's wonderful, and there's good people out there, you know what I mean, and I got a lot of love on both sides, and you know, from state to state, you know, um, you know, and that's recovery, you know, that's and that's what it is, and you know, we're about to wrap up this show. Um, Thank you for tuning in. Yes, Tribe Recovery Homes is a sponsor. You can find us online at www.triberecoveryhomes.com. 
and then do your application on there. But in closing, you know, uh, thank you, Slim. Thank you, Sean Rhodes, Sean Jenkins, for giving me this opportunity. And, man, this next couple years, we're going to bang out the show and and really shake up the streets on not just stories, but we're going to challenge challenge this uh, here community leaders to come up on the show and tell us what they're going to do for us because it's time. So stay tuned. And if you need help, reach out. Tribe ain't the only place. There's a lot of places in this in this state, in this community that you can get that help. So thank you for tuning in. Have a great morning, a blessed morning. If you have a hangover, good. You shouldn't be drinking like that last night. Just kidding. But uh, other than that, have a blessed day. Thank you.